Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So Monday this week, I got up early, got out of bed with a lot of anticipation, got a cup of my favorite coffee, surrendered my day to God. God, I'm ready for whatever you have for me today. I sat down in my office and I said, thank God it's Monday. What a great thing that I get to start a week of work. And then I turned on my computer and I had a small, easily manageable number of emails, each of which was either a message of great encouragement or a piece of critically important information that I needed that was uh, carefully crafted to honor my time. I also got an offer that was both financially wise and deeply life enhancing. And thanks to that email, I was able to help a Nigerian prince get released from jail to retrieve a family fortune and I'll be getting a generous part of that, which I'll tithe to our church. Then two staff members were having a conflict and I was able to resolve it instantly. And they immediately offered to work for free this week out of uh, the sheer gratitude for my help. (laughs) And then I was uh, time to uh, write a sermon and so I opened up a document and put my hands on a keyboard and my fingers began to effortlessly produce the most helpful, biblically informed, inspirational, even eloquent sermon I've ever written in my life. It wasn't this sermon, but it was a really good one. And then my wife called and she said, Matt, you've been too helpful around the house lately and it's making me uh, take things too much for granted. It's bad for my character. Would you please spend more time uh, working or golfing or doing something else you love this week and I'll be a better person for it. (laughs) Have you ever had a day like that? No, right? No, No one ever has a day like that. Work is good, but it's marred by sin. It's been damaged by the fall. We have to deal with alienation and thorns and thistles and sweat of our brow stuff. So last week, we looked at the Ten Commandments of work, how God wants us to lead our work lives. And this week is the seven deadly sins of work. And just by naming these seven deadly sins, my hope is that we will be aware of them and we will be able to recognize them and we'll notice when they start to get a grip on our hearts. And then we can ask God to help us be set free from them. And my prayer is that we would all do that this week. And as we work through the seven deadly sins of work, I'm gonna ask you to kind of rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. Like, where do you think you are on each one of these? And then I'm gonna ask you to pick one or two of these areas and ask God to help you work on them this week. All right, so let's dig in. The first deadly sin of work is laziness. This is the sin no one wants to admit in our day. Uh, In job interviews, people will be asked about weaknesses or areas that they need improvement, and applicants will always say things like, you know, I just work too hard. I'm just too much of a perfectionist. I don't have good boundaries. No one says, I'm just so lazy. Like, no one says that, but it's true. 
The writer of Proverbs, a, a great book of practical wisdom in the Old Testament, said this, sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest time, they look but find nothing. This is a huge problem in our world. There was an article about the Gallup organization in the Wall Street Journal, and they found that the majority of workers in the United States don't like their jobs. They have disengaged and have become what Gallup calls road warriors. It's a military term, retired on active duty. I'm still getting paid, but I've checked out. A Gallup researcher said that they worked with 10,000 employees from the Internal Revenue Service. Now, think of the challenge of working for the IRS. I mean, we need them, but who among us gets thrilled when we're contacted by the IRS? He said a very common complaint from people working for the IRS is, I hate my job, but I only have 20 years left. <laughs> They're not saying, thank God it's Monday. They're saying, thank God I only have 20 years left. Now, Contrast that with a story in the Bible in Genesis about a guy named Abraham. Uh, he sends his servant out to look for a wife for his son Isaac. Uh, that's just the way they did it back in those days. The servant comes to a well in his travels with a caravan. He has a caravan of 10 camels. He comes to a well. He's quite thirsty. Of course, there's no restaurants back then. Uh, he prayed to God about this. He sees a woman standing at the well. Her name is Rebecca, and he asks her, please let me have a little bit of your water from your jar. He's very polite. Uh, politeness was a big deal in the ancient Middle Eastern cultures. And so he asks only for himself, can I have a little drink from your jar? And Rebecca says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Now we tend to kind of skip over this without considering the cost of this statement, but this is a big deal. I mean, Rebecca is saying, I'll do what is asked of me. I'll give you some water and then some. And that's the phrase I want us to remember, and then some. Do you know how much water a camel can drink? A single camel can drink up to 30 gallons of water. There were 10 camels. I mean, that's 300 gallons of water. This is a woman with serious biceps. And because of her response, Rebecca's whole life will change. I mean, she'll be on the adventure of a lifetime. She'll meet the man who will become her husband. She'll become what is called a matriarch, you know, one of the mothers of Israel. To this day, thousands of years later, people are blessed by the name Rebecca. But she didn't know any of that was on the line when she made this offer. See, sometimes if I know I'm in line for a promotion or I know my boss is watching or I know I'm gonna get credit for the idea or I know it's gonna get captured on video, well, then I'll serve. But in the kingdom of God, people are and then some kind of people because God is an and then some kind of God. So the first deadly sin is I just go into retired on active duty status and I'm just kind of getting by. And that's no way to live. All right, deadly sin number two is pride. And this is huge in our day. We saw last week because Israel, uniquely in the ancient world, had a God who loved to work. Israel loved work and everyone was to work. Every boy would be taught a trade. Every girl would work. And they didn't have a separation between home and work the, the way that we do. And because of this, the Bible, among other things, is a book about work. One scholar notes that there are over 200 occupations talked about in the Bible. Let me ask you this, which job is the most important 
in the Bible. It's so interesting. In Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to Israel about how, you know, someday you're going to have a king. Moses says, uh, the king must take the scriptures, the Torah, the law of God, and live in submission to it like everyone else. Uh, Here's what Moses said. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. In other words, no job makes any person any more important than any other person. One of the most common themes in the Bible, it's written about in Proverbs and quoted again in the New Testament by James and then by Peter, is God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And man, do we need to hear that in our day. God is unalterably opposed to the human system that grants greater worth and status and dignity and identity to people based on their job title. God hates that because it wounds people. Here's a little test for you on this sin. When you meet someone and you ask them the question, you know, what is it you do for work? It's not a bad question. But if they say a job that's real important or has a high salary attached to it or a high status, uh, do you lean in a little more? Are you a little more interested? Do you think, hey, this is someone worth getting to know? They could be strategic to me. Or if it sounds like it's a low status job, do you disengage quickly? Are you a little less interested in them? You see, God is never impressed by someone's job. God is never unimpressed by someone's job. It's just not something he considers. Now I have to say a word at this point in this series, uh, particularly to parents, uh, most often moms who may be home caring for children. You know, in our society, with its job craziness, you may feel devalued or forgotten or underappreciated. A guy named Tony Campolo was at a party for rather sophisticated people on the East Coast. And a woman asked his wife, what do you do for a living? And his wife was a stay-at-home mom with her kids. And this other woman knew this. And so Tony's wife said, I'm socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition so they might become agents for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia God Almighty had in mind from the beginning of creation. What do you do for a living? (laughs) I want to say this. If you're at home caring for the lives of little children, unpaid, unnoticed, uncompensated, uh, unrecognized. You are doing work that is as hard as and as challenging and as noble and as glorious and valued by God and as eternally significant as anything on the planet. You are heroes. And until God himself says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, which one day he will do, All of us as a church can only say to you, thank God you are who you are and thank God you do what you do. What you do matters immensely. You are heroes. All right, one other word. Again, our culture is so messed up on this whole pride thing. A friend of mine uh, is a therapist and he was talking to a CEO who for a couple of years got involved with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And my friend, this therapist, asked the CEO, it must be kind of weird for you. You know, you, I mean, it's like you go from the everyday C-suite, corner office, important people to a dingy room in a church building to hang out with a bunch of drunks. And the CEO said, you don't get it. This is, this is not us at all. We're not our jobs. We're just a bunch of drunks helping each other go one more day without getting drunk. You see, we are not our jobs, not in the church, not in God's community. I don't care how important your job sounds or how hard your job is or if you have a job at all. I'm so glad you are a part of Blue Oaks. This is a different kind of community. We are all just a bunch of sinners helping a bunch of sinners go another day clinging to God. So no pride, okay? All right, deadly sin number three is unethical action. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, anyone who has been stealing, uh, he expects there will be people in the church community who have been thieves, who've been stealing. He's not shocked by this, but he has some thoughts on it. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. See, we're all made to share. When we bring our tithes and our offerings to give to Blue Oaks from the work that we do throughout the week, I mean, it is a gift that we get to do that. We were made by God to do that. I wanna ask you to think about your life at work. Is there any place where you're not honoring a high standard ethically? I mean, it could be cheating on an expense account. It's so easy to pad that a little bit. It could be lying to people at work about how you spend your time if you're not working as much as you should. It could be that you claim credit for an idea that wasn't yours. Maybe uh, you make yourself sound better than you really are. It could be that you take home office supplies without anyone knowing it, and they're not yours. It could be that you make inappropriate sexual comments to someone else. It could be that you're demeaning another person, maybe someone a little lower on the org chart than you. It could be that you hold a grudge against someone. It could be that you gossip about someone and you know you're damaging them. You see, we need to have our standards set real high. The Apostle Paul at one point writes to a group of followers of Jesus and he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Max Dupree, who was a leader in the field of faith and work, he worked for many years as CEO of a company called Herman Miller. Uh, one of the decisions he made was he would cap his salary. He limited his salary so that it would be no more than 20 times more than the lowest paid employee at Herman Miller. Just for perspective, the average CEO nowadays makes about 350 times the average employee. So he capped it at 20 times the lowest paid employee. Now, there's not a verse in the Bible on this. Uh, there's not like a formula to follow God on this. I mean, he was just struggling with like, how do I express my faith financially? How do I declare that value? 
a guy named Dan Price, a young CEO of Gravity Payments in 2015, raised his company's minimum salary to $70,000 a year. Uh, they're in Seattle. Uh, in 2019, he did the same thing for their Boise office. And he took a huge pay cut himself to help make this happen. And what a lot of people don't know is he's a graduate of Seattle Pacific University, a Christian school, and he's trying to live out his faith in Jesus. Now, I understand, I get it. There are big debates about compensation and a lot of disagreements and nuances. I'm not an economist and uh, people way smarter than me will talk about the economics of it. But I do want to say as a follower of Jesus, we ought to be asking questions like, how does my behavior, how do my choices, how do my words, how does my financial life, how does my treatment of other people reflect the Jesus that I follow and the God that I serve? All right, so deadly sin number three is unethical action. How are you doing at that one? All right, we'll talk about the next deadly sin of work in just a moment. One of my favorite children books, the ones I buy for my nephew and buy as gifts for all my friends, is a series of books that I have termed the what's the point books. These books cover topics like what's the point of math, what's the point of science, and so on. I am not a big math fan, mostly because I'm not good at math, uh, and so naturally I gravitate towards the what's the point of math books. And on the cover of the book tells us the point of math or that math is cool because math helps us track time. It helps us win a game show or impress our friends. It tells us how to predict comets and most importantly, how to become a trillionaire. It's a high promise for a book, uh, but it's funny. Each of these books points out the point of something is beyond the category that we put it in. See, I put math in this box. It's too many numbers and symbols and too much work, but when I'm told that math can predict comets or help me impress my friends, well then I'm in for a little math. When we rephrase what math can be, we see its point and we get excited about it. And maybe we need to make a what's the point of work book. Some of us have placed work in this category similar to where I place math, right? It's too challenging, too annoying. We don't get paid enough for what we do or we don't get enough praise for how we go above and beyond. Or maybe we place too much emphasis on work. Work is our sole identity. It's the place we gain any and all confidence. It's our number one. Work is a negative or it's an all-consuming passion and so we dive into one of these seven deadly sins in order to justify our actions or our lack of actions. This reality has left some of us here today feeling a little guilty as Matt has read off the first few of the sins. So what do we do? Well, we reframe or we remarket work. The What's the Point books help me to understand that multi-layered excitement that can come from something I dislike. And we, as Christians, have this book, and I know it's a little bit cheesy, but this book helps us reframe our work so that we don't fall into the trap of these seven deadly sins. This book, the Bible, helps us to find our core identity in Christ. It helps us to see that out of this core identity, we partner with God in our day-to-day -day work, and our work becomes not this self-centered or ego-driven thing, but a kingdom-oriented action. I truly believe that if we as a community and as individuals start the process of renaming and remarketing and finding what the point of work is with and alongside God, that we can begin to loosen the chains of one of these sins that hold us. 
I know it has for me. In the Catholic tradition, the seven deadly sins or vices are thwarted when people choose not a deadly vice, but a virtue. So when the vice of envy pops up, the virtue of gratitude takes over. When the vice of pride or sloth finds its way into one's actions, the virtue of humility or diligence overtake. And we can do something similar with our work lives. When we're at our jobs, working away, and laziness or pride or unethical actions or work idolatry finds the way into our actions and our heart, we can pause and then we can repent and then we can redefine our work so that our lives and our actions are guided by God. Our identity becomes rooted in God's hope and purpose, not by our own definition of work. Just like the What's the Point books redefine subjects, so God can redefine our work. And in doing so, we can rightly place our work into our spiritual lives, confessing and walking away from the deadly vice that holds us down. If you're still finding your vice, Matt has a few more. And we're going to rejoin him to hear about the other vices and to also find encouragement for our week as we plug into the Bible and rewrite what the point of work is. All right, we're talking about the seven deadly sins of work. And number four is work idolatry. And I'll warn you up front, this one is going to be painful. Uh, if the idols of the Old Testament had names like Baal and Molech, uh, idols in our day would be called success or achievement. I mean, there are people who get so driven, so addicted, so enslaved to the need to be successful that it's become their God. And on the altar before that God, they sacrifice their family. They don't admit it to anyone, not even themselves, but they feel it. Ironically, when guys do this, you know, we'll say, I'm doing it for them. You know, I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my kids. They get the money. They get supported. Well, no, they don't. And you know what? You know it and they know it. And I just want to hint, hit this one really hard because I'm just concerned for our church. I'm concerned for our families. I'm concerned for you. If you love God and if you follow Jesus, there are some priorities in your life. And at the top is God. I mean, God comes first. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. No other gods before that one. The next priority would be my marriage. If I'm married, I'm promise, I've promised that to my spouse. And then my kids. If I have kids and I'm their dad, um, they would come next. And then work. Uh, work is a good thing. And it's really important. But I'll tell you something about work. Work is not God. So work should not be the top priority. And I'll tell you something else about work. Work wants to be your God. Work really does want to get up to the top of that priority list. And here's the deal about work. If work isn't number four, it will be number one. If I'm putting my work ahead of my kids, well, then I'm disobeying God, who told parents, love your children. And I just want to challenge you with this one. Again, I know this can be painful. I know this can be scary. But ask your spouse this week, is our relationship suffering? Is our family suffering because of my attachment to my work and my success? And just be honest with me. 
And if you'll have that conversation with a genuinely open heart and spirit, you will be spared on your deathbed having the biggest regret of your life, looking back at all kinds of holy moments that you missed and little hearts that you crushed, little lives that never grew into what they could have been. We just live in a place that will entice us, partly just because it's so subtle. It's not like you know stealing money or committing adultery where you can point to one moment or one act. I mean, that's part of why it's so damaging. And I have to tell you, I see this a lot. And I wanna say, if any parent is courageous enough to say no to worshiping, climbing that ladder in order to say yes to your children, and you wonder, have I not succeeded enough? Have I not achieved enough? I mean, you are not a failure. You are a hero. All right, deadly sin number five, avoiding accountability. Jesus told an awful lot of parables from the field of work, and one of them is about three employees. Uh, they're all entrusted with uh, resources, opportunity, and time by their employer, and the hinge moment in the story comes when they're called to be accountable. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. Two of them had been faithful in their work, and they were rewarded, but one of them had not. Instead of just owning up to it, he was filled with excuses. He actually said, the reason I wasn't faithful is because you're a hard guy to work for. It's really your fault, not my fault. It's amazing how easy it is to spend hours, days, weeks, months, years, not giving God my best when I'm at work and then blaming someone else. A classic example of this is in the Bible. Uh, it's in the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses has to go meet with God. Uh, now, Moses has a job to do, like we all do. Um, like a good leader, he delegates watching over, caring for the people to Aaron, uh, keeping the people on track uh, corporately and spiritually. So that's Aaron's job. Moses goes to be with God. He comes back, and the people are worshiping an idol, a golden calf. That was not Aaron's job. So Moses is not happy about this. It's time to hold Aaron to account. Moses said to Aaron, what did you do to these people that you provoked them to such a great sin? And Aaron's response is classic. Do not be angry, my Lord. Notice how he addresses his brother Moses. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, it wasn't my idea, they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave the gold to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Like it's so weird, isn't it? Like who would have expected this to happen? You see, avoiding responsibility becomes a habit that becomes unconscious and eventually causes my destruction. I mean, it kills people in the workplace. Uh, there's an old story about a guy who becomes a CEO of a company uh, he talks to the outgoing CEO who says to him, you know, I hope you have no problems. I hope uh, everything goes fine for you and you don't have problems. But if you happen to come across a problem, I've prepared three envelopes for you. You can just open it up and it'll tell you what to do. So for a while, everything is fine. But then one day, uh, the first big problem comes. And this new CEO remembers and opens envelope number one. And there's a card in it that just says, blame me. And so he does. He says, it's all the old CEO's fault. 
and everyone's satisfied with that. Everything is okay. And things go on for a while and then there's problem number two. And he opens up envelope number two and uh, this one just has a card and it says, blame the board. And so he says, you know, it's the board of directors fault. You know, they're the ones who have been dysfunctional and everyone's fine with that. And things go on for a while and then a third problem comes up and he opens the third envelope and the card just says, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> In other words, eventually the envelopes run out. It's so easy to say, I would be a better worker if I had a better boss or if I had a better job or if I had uh, a better team or if I had a better company or if I had a bigger paycheck. You know, the most important thing you bring home from work is not your paycheck. The most important thing you bring home from work is you, your spirit, your integrity in your heart. If I'm just working for a paycheck, that's always destructive. And that actually leads to the next deadly sin. Number six is bad attitude. Having a bad attitude at work is actually a sin. It's so interesting, in the Old Testament, I've never realized this before, only one time is it said of someone in the Old Testament, he was filled with the Spirit of God, only once. And it wasn't Moses, it wasn't Daniel or Esther or David or someone famous that you might think. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, just to make sure you identify the right guy. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To do what? Not to prophesy, not to teach, not to lead. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. In other words, God considers craftsmanship, design, helping other people do that, so important that he sends his spirit. He will give you, like whatever your craft is, wisdom, knowledge, skill, if you ask him, why? The only conclusion you can draw from this passage is God loves craftsmanship. He loves excellent work. He cares about your job when you do it for him. He loves beautiful things, beautiful designs, skillfully executed. God loves well-written emails. Do you ever think about that? God hates poorly written emails. Have you ever gotten a poorly written email? Next time you get one, just write back, God hates this stuff. <laughs> God loves well-run meetings. Have you ever been in a bad meeting? I mean, God doesn't like bad meetings. There are no bad meetings in heaven, none. Hell will just be like one bad meeting that just goes on and on and on. God loves well-led teams. I'm serious about this. God loves well-baked bread. God loves well-cleaned sinks. God loves well-driven buses and well-designed apps and well-taught classes. God loves a high-functioning emergency room where everyone is at their best. God loves a genuinely friendly reception desk where people feel welcomed and at home. God loves a beautiful garden where people can just kind of take in its beauty. If God loves great work, if my work blesses God, I wanna give God the gift of my best work. And here's the deal. Uh, I don't need a greater job. I just need to do my current job with greater love. There's a woman named Linda Wilson who drives a bus in San Francisco. 
Uh, she gets up at 2.30 in the morning to ask God to give her a good attitude and to lead her throughout the day. Uh, she was on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. Why? Because she drives a bus the way that Jesus would drive a bus. She learns the names of people who ride her bus. She waits for them when they're late. She asks a stranger uh, to her house for Thanksgiving. She'll get out of her seat and help a senior struggling with groceries to get on her bus. She'll tell people at the end of her line, I love you, take care of yourself. She said, you know, when you ask him, God will show you who needs kindness. God will show you who might not have their fare. God will just kind of whisper to me, she says, let them pay what they can. God will just show me how to love people on the bus all day long. That's what she said. You need to bring greater love into your current job. You don't need to get a greater job. All right, the seventh deadly sin is 24-7-ism. And this one is huge. Uh, we start to worship work so much. Uh, we think to be busy is to be important and to not be busy is to be unimportant. We think even God will judge us based on our career success and level of activity. There was a bumper sticker that read, Jesus is coming, look busy. Like really? Is that what he's looking for? God created a plan for disconnecting from work. It's called the Sabbath, it's brilliant. And then God blesses the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Later on, the writer of scripture says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I have to say a word here, holy is a great word, but it's often misunderstood. People think it means holier than thou. The Hebrew word for holy initially meant to separate. To make something holy meant to, to separate it, to pull it apart. It's a, a Genesis one word. God separates light from dark. God separates sky from the earth and the land from the sea. In the ancient world, chaos always uh, was the enemy of human flourishing. And so to make something holy is to redeem it from chaos so that it can be useful and beautiful. God joins stuff together that we're not to separate. God separated stuff that we're not to join together. The last thing God separates is labor from leisure. Nowadays, we can work 24 seven. I mean, we just always feel like I have another appointment, I have another uh, phone call that I can make, I have another task that I can do, it never ends. People check their business email in bed. People read their work texts at breakfast. I mean, there's just no such thing as downtime. And here's what's interesting. People are also increasingly interrupting their work moments with personal stuff. Guess when Facebook and Twitter are both most active? It's during office hours. One writer put it like this, we live in a cult of connectivity, so we're both always working and never really fully working. And that's not God's plan. For God, there's this daily rhythm. At the end of every day, he would review his work and he would celebrate, it is good, and then it's done, and it's dark. And then there's a weekly finish line. That's the Sabbath. And we need to create a daily finish line. We need to set a time when we're not gonna write any more emails or check more texts or make more phone calls and we're just going to trust God. 
And then we need to have a weekly Sabbath finish line where we are going to be with our family or we're going to be with our friends or we're going to be with God. We're going to do what we love. We're going to listen to great music. We're going to eat great food. We're going to play golf or a hike or take a nap or go to the ocean. Just don't work like for a day. Don't do work. Don't plan work. Don't look at work. Don't think about work. Don't dream about work. Don't read about work. Don't say the word work. You can even turn off your phone for the whole day. Maybe that would drive you crazy. And then I learn again, I'm not my job. My worth is not in my work. My life is not my resume. You know, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, so those are the seven deadly sins of work. So where is God saying, my son, my daughter, you need to change this area of your work life? Where do you need to confess? Where do you need to go to another person and set things right? And then remember, if you have a pile of regrets around one of these areas, the most important work in the universe is the work of forgiving sins. And Jesus has already done that. If you're loaded down with guilt or regret or pain, Jesus already died on the cross and said that work is finished. So just give it to him. All right, let me pray for you right now. God, would you help us with our work? God, as we uh, just listed off these seven deadly sins of work, some of us may struggle in one or two of these areas. And God, I pray that you would remind us of what that area is and help us right now to just go to that uh, place on the website where we can download the, the notes and we can make a decision about what next step we are going to take in these areas. God, as we've kind of rated ourselves in these areas, those areas where we struggle the most, I pray that you would help us to do some work this week. Help us to have some conversations with people this week. Help us to pray to you and to find strength from you and the help that we need from you to uh, be free from these struggles and these sins so that we can actually experience work the way that you designed work. We can find fulfillment in it. Uh, we can find joy in it and meaning and purpose, but we can let it go when it needs to be done and focus on our other priorities, which are you and our wives and our uh, spouses and our kids and and even our hobbies sometimes. God, would you uh, lead us in this area of work? Give us uh, more joy and more purpose and more fulfillment, more meaning as we seek to honor you in the way we work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.